Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. And as good fortune would have it, we have with us another remarkable filmmaker uh, with a rich history, including The Trials of Henry Kissinger, Why We Fight, The House I Live In. That's Eugene Jarecki, and he has a new film out called The King. It is a, basically the story of, of Elvis Presley, 40 years after his death. We uh, go on a journey with Eugene and a number of amazing uh, array of people that are sort of illuminate the landscape we live in here in America now, including Alec Baldwin, Roseanne Cash, Chuck D, Emmylou Harris, uh, Ethan Hawke, Mike Myers, Dan Rather, Van Jones, all these people, uh, James Carville sort of adding to the conversation and uh, with some Great music as well, thrown in for good measure. The film is about America. It's about Elvis. It's about our future. Where are we and where are we heading? And with that, we'll bring into the conversation the director of the film, the King, Eugene Jarecki. Eugene, welcome to Film School. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, how did this idea come to you for this film? Well, you know, I've devoted most of my adult life to trying to understand the American predicament in the situation in which we find ourselves. And that was long ago before things became so extreme and so out of whack for so many people. Um, but that means I've always been focused with the American dream, the American promise, and the shortcomings, and the, the majesty of it on the one hand, and then at the same time, the, the sort of shortcomings for so many people that the American dream, you know, has, has been for so many a broken promise, and yet at the same time has so much about it that we care about. So I've always been focused on the American dream, but Somehow getting to Elvis Presley, I mean, who is more closely identified with that American dream than Elvis? And yet that comes with a caveat, because it's the American dream taken in its totality. You know, a dream that wasn't available to everybody. It was just for really for white men. It wasn't an American dream for black people. It wasn't an American dream for women, for the most part. It wasn't an American dream for many minorities. So Elvis seemed to be this sort of this, this extraordinarily interesting figure, beautiful figure, majestic figure, and himself a kind of extraordinary figure. But look at how he ends. And somehow in his rise and fall, I saw a metaphor for the country. It, it is so true. And I, I was uh, I'm old enough to have not I wasn't quite old enough to be around for the first iteration of Elvis as before the army and all that. But um, I, I became a, a fan, if you will, a musical fan of his after the after the uh, This Is Elvis documentary many years ago. I had no, I didn't know his history. I just kind of thought of him as a sort of a a, a relic of a, a a different musical era. And 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 through that, I became more interested in his life and the impact it has had on on America. And and this film comes along as sort of a. Uh, a continuation of that of that uh, discussion, if you will, the impact he had. Why did he have the impact he had on America? Because he was authentic, and because he was an authentic representative of cross currents in American life. Here's a poor white kid coming out of nowhere, and he's going to rise like a meteor, and he's going to go all the way to the top. We ultimately are going to call that country boy the king. So what could more closely reflect the hopes and dreams of any American for themselves or for their children than to watch somebody truly be able to come out of nowhere and rise to the very top of things? And that's 
wonderful, but it's also played into this terrible danger we have of this race to the top society where we're interested so much in power and so much in money that everything else is getting chewed up along the way. And look at how Elvis ends up. The pursuit of all that destroys him. So I think that he has this impact at the beginning because he's so beautiful physically, his talent, his contribution, and the authenticity of, you know, for example, he played black music at a time where no white person would be caught dead sounding like a black person. People have accused Elvis of racism, and there are some, there's Chuck D is in the film, and Van Jones, and David Simon, and others, and they discuss it very deeply, because I think anyone, it's not so simple, anyone who wants to call Elvis a racist because he played music that was, uh, that resonated from the black community that he was, that he grew up in, those people are racist. Everybody should share culture. What a beautiful thing to do. Chuck D says in the film, you wouldn't tell a young African-American kid not to play Mozart because he doesn't have German roots. Right. That would be wrong. And likewise, it would be wrong for anyone to think that Elvis should not have played black music. It's part of his, part of what's beautiful about him and struck the country so hard was that he, he reminded the country that poor whites and poor blacks had common cause. And one of the great things we're watching today with the current person in the Oval Office, whose name I won't use in public, um, is that that person is hell-bent on dividing Americans one against the other. That's how the powerful, particularly fascist powerful people, and I think we do have a fascist in the White House, fascism by its very nature, it wants to divide people and turn one person against another person. When in fact, if all those people realized how common their cause is, if blacks and whites realized that, that's a really seismic force in American life. And I think Elvis represented that. So he was on the one hand incredibly attractive because of that, but he was also very controversial and very much a worry to um, certain groups in America that saw that as a threat. Yeah, and you get into this in the film, and I could not agree more. The 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 poor black m- people and poor white people have so much more in common than yep. they don't. And and uh, but I understand also the issue brought up by Chuck D and others in the film. This cultural appropriation, not maybe Chuck D, but others in the film, bring up sure. this cultural appropriation, and you can see it. I remember- well, cultural appropriation is a very real thing, but it's an industrial phenomenon. Right. There in other go. words, what, what stands accused yeah. is the white music industry, right. correctly, stands accused of stealing the music and the profit margins from black people. Yeah. But we've been stealing from black people in every American industry since we began by stealing the black people themselves from Africa. Yeah. So the theft, white theft, from the black society is a fact of American life until further notice, and we're seeing finally movements that really mean to to establish that black lives matter and they can't just be stolen and their fruits can't just be stolen. But the white music industry stands correctly accused of complete racial appropriation. It's just whether an artist, a person who themselves is simply doing a beautiful cross-cultural uh, inspiration, tribute, emulation, whatever you want to call it. I don't consider that the the proper application of concerns about racial appropriation. There are other concerns where one could feel that about Elvis, and one could accuse Elvis of racial insensitivity, and that comes up in the film, and we can talk about that, but that's a much deeper conversation. It's not the, and it doesn't have to do with the fact that he played um, African-American influenced music. Right. Again, we're speaking with Eugene Jarecki. The film is called The King. It is in theaters today. Yes, absolutely, and Again, there are so many voices in this film. There's, I, I, I almost hesitate to single anyone out, but, uh, but, sure. Ethan, but Ethan Hawke, you know, his his take on Elvis, he, or at least on the Colonel, he certainly had 
disdain. And there are, <laughs> again, th- there are so many different elements of, of Elvis's life where you can draw out these kind of analogies. The colonel comes in, he's a huckster. We're, we're, the country is being run by a huckster now. Uh, th- there are just too many. Th- there's so many things about Elvis and his life that, that make this such a compelling film to watch. Sure. I mean, you know, I began, the film began as an idea about a metaphor between Elvis and America. But yeah. then, of course, it became possible for us. We learned that Elvis's Rolls-Royce, his 1963 Phantom Five Rolls-Royce, was about to come up for auction in California. And we asked, we asked ourselves, could we go back to the film's financers, who had, all they'd signed on for was this kind of poetical film I was going to make, exploring the American dream at this moment in our history yeah. through Elvis. And uh, go back to them and say, hey, what if we made it a giant musical road trip spanning, you know, 35 states, crossing the whole country from Elvis's birthplace to Memphis, Nashville, New York, L.A., you know, Hollywood, Las Vegas. What if we did all that? It would become a much bigger film, but it would really... It would really give us the opportunity to almost take on the whole country and really try to wrap our arms around the whole question of the American story. And very, very thankfully, they went for that. They allowed the film to step up at auction. The film was able to buy the car. And quite luckily, we always wondered, would we ever be able to sell the car again? We also wondered, would I crash it into a tree and ruin it? (laughs) But we we escaped unharmed. The car broke down, as people will see in the film, quite often. Um, But by the time we were done, we were able actually to sell the car. And I'm very proud to announce that the car has been sold in a very, very interesting and poetic way for the larger story of this. Um, So it all worked out. The the journey allowed us to go across the whole country and really bring all those voices into a large American family. People playing music in the back of the car, incredible musicians in the film who were all moved by Elvis to play in that car. And then people like you've mentioned, you know, Alec Baldwin, Emmylou Harrison, Chuck D and others, really weaving that with the American story and with some perspective on how the hell we got where we are it's just an enjoyable film to watch that's the other thing about this this is not a a a, a polemic this is this is about it it there's a, a lot of elvis history for people who are in into just his life and his times and all yeah. but there's also these really articulate wonderful voices uh that you pulled in and it would Putting this together in terms of the people you wanted uh, to to comment in the film, as sure. well as well as the musicians. By the way, I'm I'm a big M Ward fan. It's so wonderful to see him in any any venue. And thank you for bringing him into this project. But there's M Ward so- is M Ward is absolutely incredible in the film. And we've actually just yeah. released a music video oh. uh, that people can find at, online of M Ward song "Sad Sad Song." Yeah, and uh, it's shot in the back of Elvis's car. It's quite incredible. Well, they're all there's uh, Emmy Sunshine. Am I got that right, Emmy? Yep, Emmy Sunshine is wow. a real phenom out of Tennessee. <laughs> She's an incredible young young girl. There's just so many young but, women. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just curious in the last couple of minutes here uh, that uh, pulling together these people, these voices that you bring into this, and and obviously where you went, but what sort of your process of bringing these these different voices in? These, this is really a great lineup of people. What were you? What were your thoughts in in pulling these people into the project? Well, we wanted a real American family in the film of people from all walks of life. We wanted people, everyday people that we would meet along the way. We were really chasing Elvis's ghost across the country. So wherever we were, if we were in Tupelo, Mississippi, where he was born, we were talking to people who, you know, they'll tell you that the whole town lives, breathes, and eats Elvis. They've been eating out on that for decades. And if you then go to Memphis, you're talking to people at the 
the incredible young gospel singers at yes. the Sax Music Academy, mm-hmm. which is the sort of epicenter of black music culture in Memphis and the influence that it had on Elvis. And then we'd also go over to Sam Phillips Records and meet the guys who are Sam Phillips' son, who are sons who are incredible guys still making the music, yeah. like Sam Phillips, who discovered Elvis. So there's just each place we went, we wanted people who either had something to do with Elvis or they had to do with the country we live in today in the places where Elvis was. Like, Elvis slept here. Well, now what's going on in this town? Right. People can't, you know, people can't live on the work they're doing. People can't get jobs. People are struggling. So the idea that this American dream once passed through here, like a beautiful ghost named Elvis, and now the place is a ghost town, that's very heartbreaking. And I think it's what Americans need to recognize comes with this race to the top mentality. We have turned our back on the country boy. We've turned our back on what mattered and what made him beautiful and enduring. And if we want to keep doing that, then it shouldn't surprise us that our country will go really to hell in a handbasket, which is what people feel is happening. The the tearing apart of this country is just because we've allowed an elite 0.0001% to run the country for their benefit and make ridiculous arguments why the rest of the country should be suffering as it is. That's the only way you could end up in a situation like we have where a newsroom gets shot up yesterday and we won't pass gun laws, right? That's only when you have institutions that are so corrupt by money and there's so much in seek of power that they allow things to get warped beyond any morality. That's where we are. And that's why I made the movie and that's why I brought all those voices together across the whole country. So no stone was left unturned. Well, it's a beautiful film, Eugene, and it is, it, it's a, a great watch on a lot of levels. The entertainment of the musicians, the, the thoughtful I- insights by the people in the film, the where you shot it, all the different elements you brought together. I, I loved Wayne Gerster. He sort of, you have this conversation. Where are you going with this movie conversation? I know which, Wayne Gerster is a great man and yeah. he's the road crew chief in yeah. the film. And at one point people laugh because he tells me on screen that I have no idea what I'm doing with the movie <laughs> and he's probably not that wrong. So. Oh. It's just great. I think people laugh a little in country. They're always looking to see if I'm in the room. I think <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing. Well, uh, continue your fantastic work and your career is just a remarkable one. And I'm honored anytime I have the opportunity to talk with you, Eugene Jarecki. Thank you for this and thank you for the King. And thank uh, you. I do want people to know that it comes out today in LA. Yes. Um, at the New Art Theater. So please send people, come yourselves, bring your friends. Movies like mine that try to try to protect human beings and try to make the world a little better. We don't have major studios behind us. The only way we can succeed is if people come out to the theaters and make the thing a real splash. So it'd be great to see people at the New Art this weekend. Tonight it starts. Rob Reiner will be with me doing a Q&A tomorrow afternoon. Oh. I'll be doing Q&As throughout the weekend starting tonight. So anybody who hears the broadcast and would like to see a cool movie, we'd love to have you. Great. And you have you, you have uh, uh, moved heaven and earth to get to this interview today. I know you're at an airport somewhere and all kinds of different I am. things. I'm at O'Hare Airport uh, talking to you, watching uh, planes taxi. All right. Well, I uh, get on your plane and I'll see you either tonight or tomorrow night at the at the New Art. So thank you so much. Eugene. Thanks for having me. All right. Terrific. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. I guess. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.